Our second Bible reading comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, and you'll be able to find it in your pew Bible on page 967. We'll start with verse 1 and read to 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So far the reading of the word. Thanks, Corey. Um, it would be great if you could keep your Bible open as we work through, because we'll be uh, referring to it a lot. So it'd be great if you could keep it open in front of you. And if you're a note taker, you'll find the outline for what we're going to be working through on the inside of your um, server sheet. So that might you might also like to have that handy. I'm going to pray and ask God to bless our time as we begin. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken and revealed yourself. We thank you for your word, the Bible. We ask that it might be a light for our feet and a tonic for our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as I'm sure you're kind of starting to get sick of hearing about now, I'm going to introduce myself again. So um, so my name is Ollie, for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, and I'm just starting here as an assistant minister. And I thought what I'd do this morning is introduce myself a little bit to you as we get going. So I thought I'd tell you a few things about my identity and who I am. So first thing I thought I'd tell you is that I am an identical twin. And so um, there's a photo of me as a baby, me and my brother. Uh, so as you can see, we're pretty identical. There's another one, family photos, us. As kids, as you can see, we're pretty identical. So for all you know, I might not actually be Ollie. I might be Ollie's brother who's turned up here and you couldn't tell the difference. But so that's the first thing I thought I'd tell you about is that I'm an identical twin. Uh, the next thing I thought I'd tell you about is that I go for the Melbourne Demons in the football, in the AFL. And so, yeah, I know you're thinking, how is it possible that a pastor can go for a team called the Demons? Yeah, well, I wish I didn't as well, but unfortunately I was stuck with them as a kid. And the thing about AFL teams is you can't change. So even though I'm stuck with the dud team, I'm stuck for life now. So uh, that's who I go for in the football. And then the final thing I thought I'd tell you is that I am uh, married to Cassie. So there's some uh, photos from our wedding day. And what I've actually got here, I don't know how we've got this. This was like more than five years ago. But I've actually got here some of our, how do you say, bonbonniers. So these are what we handed out at our wedding. And so uh, we've still got those left over. I've also got this, uh, which was the case that our wedding invites got sent out in. So um, yeah, I don't know how I've got those, but five years later I do, and five years of uh, great marriage. So that's just a few things about me so that you get to know who I am, so you know a little bit about my identity. And we all have an identity. We all have things that kind of define us and define who we are. I wonder what it is for you. Maybe your identity is tied with work. Maybe you're a teacher, a doctor, you're retired, whatever it is, that's what kind of defines you. That's your identity. Or maybe it's tied with family. You're a parent or your mother or father, grandfather, grandmother, an uncle, an aunt, a brother, a sister, whatever it is, maybe your identity is tied in with your family. Or maybe it's tied in with your achievements. You're always the top student in class. You're the hardest worker at work. You're a cancer survivor. Maybe your identity is tied in with your achievements. See, whatever it is, we've all got things that we think define us, that say who we are, that give our identity. And so that's what we're thinking about as we work through Jonah 1. But the thing about identity is that some things are more important than others. So, of course, it's more important, more vital to who I am that I'm an identical twin than it is I go for Melbourne. And, of course, it's even more vital to, to the fact that I'm married to Cassie than it is both of those. See, some things of our identity are more important than others. And what we're thinking about as we work through Jonah 1, as we think about our identity is a part of our identity that's more important than anything else. More important than being a twin, more important than going from Melbourne, even more important, or at least more overarching, than being a husband to Cassie. Because what Jonah 1 forces us to do, what it does is it holds up a mirror for us to look into it and see our reflection. It shows us what our identity genuinely is. Because what the book of Jonah does is constantly shows us these two main characters. We have Jonah, the one the book's named after, and we have God. And it constantly gets us to think, which one, is me, which one am I? Which one is my identity? Am I like Jonah or am I like God? 
And now uh, you might be thinking, well, that sounds good to be like Jonah. Wouldn't it be great to be like Jonah, the prophet of God? Well, what we actually see in Jonah, the book of Jonah, is that Jonah the prophet is constantly shown to be selfish and self-centered, constantly shown to be lacking love and lacking compassion. And so it's actually meant to be a warning to not be like Jonah. And so we see that as we begin in chapter 1. We see that God calls out to Jonah. We see that Jonah chooses and we see that there's consequences. And so what I want you to do as we're working through chapter 1 is to be constantly thinking to yourself, which one am I? Am I more like the gracious and loving God? Or am I more like the selfish Jonah? So I want you to be thinking that, reflecting on that as we work through. And so to begin with, God calls. God calls out to Jonah. Do you see what his call is? Have a look at verses 1 to 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. He's to go to Nineveh and he's to preach against their wickedness. Now, uh, that in itself isn't that unusual. The Old Testament is filled with God calling out to his prophets and telling them to go and preach a word. But what's unusual about this is that this is the only time a prophet of God is called to go to people who aren't Jews. This is the only time a prophet is called to go to Gentiles. And so it's kind of unusual in and of itself because of that. But it gets even more unusual when we think about who these people are, these Ninevites. They're described here as kind of evil, as wicked, but it's almost a bit of an understatement. These are people who delighted in torturing people. Some of the things they'd do is they would skin people alive. They would cut out tongues and eyes. They would pull people apart with horses. And that's just the less bad stuff. There's heaps of other worse stuff they do that I didn't even want to tell you. These people are wicked, wicked people on a scale, a wickedness scale of one to ten. These guys are like a hundred. They're as wicked and evil as you can get. And so they're the last people that Jonah wants to go to. They're the last people that Jonah wants to go to and preach so that they might repent. He doesn't want them to repent. He wants them judged. And in a sense, you can understand why, if we understand how wicked they are. And so the question then is why does God send Jonah there? Why not just judge them and be done with it? I mean, they deserve it after all, so why not just judge them? That's because of who God is. See, God's call to Jonah shows us God's character. And we'll think about this more over the coming weeks, but it's worth having a little bit of a think about now. See, what it shows us is that God has compassion on everyone. God cares about everyone. And God desires that everyone might repent and know him. See, God doesn't just send Jonah off to the nice people, the kind of okay people that you'd enjoy spending time with. No, he sends Jonah to the wicked, to the evil, to the thoughtless people, because that's who God loves. God wants them to be saved as well. See, God's call reminds us this is God's character. This is who God is. And so right at the start of the book, in the very first few verses, we get this glimpse of this is who we should be like. We should be like the compassionate and merciful God. That should be our identity. But we get this glimpse and then we see Jonah because God calls to him and he has to make a choice. He has to choose to obey God and to go to Nineveh or to disobey God and to flee. 
Now, of course, we heard it before, and I suspect lots of us are quite familiar with the story of Jonah. We know that he chooses to flee. He chooses to ignore God. Have a look at the third verse. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port, for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, Jonah hears God's call to go to Nineveh, and he goes the complete opposite. God tells him to head east, and he heads west. God tells him to go over land, and he goes over water. Now, uh, without I'm a visual person, so I like having kind of visuals of this. So I thought I'd give you a um, kind of bit of an idea of where he is. So he's in A, and he's meant to go to B. So that's where God wants him to do, go from A to B. Do you know where he goes? He goes to C. He goes as far away as is physically possible to do at that time. He heads on a ship and heads to the complete opposite side of the ocean. Now, it loses a bit of perspective on a map, but that is 2,800 kilometres so it's loosely the distance of from here to Perth. So that is a long, long distance. It's like being told, go to New Zealand and you go to Perth instead. He's picked the most opposite thing possible to do. And the question is, why? Why doesn't he listen? Why doesn't he do what God wants him to? Well, it's not because he hasn't understood It's not that he hasn't understood what God wants him to do. In fact, it's the opposite. The problem is he has understood. He knows exactly who God is and he knows if he goes to the Ninevites, they will repent and they will be saved and he doesn't want that. He wants them to be judged. And so uh, Jonah appears in one other place in the Bible. Jonah appears in 2 Kings 14, 25. And in it, we see that that Jonah uh, kind of prophesies to the king to go and attack people who have taken their land and to win it back. And what it kind of hints at is that Jonah is a patriot. He's a nationalist. He loves Jews. He loves the Jewish people. But he hates anyone who's not. And so therefore, he looks at these Ninevites who aren't God's people. And he hates them. He doesn't want them saved. He wants them judged. See, what's happening here is right at the start, God's will and Jonah's will have crashed together. They're butting heads. On the one hand, we have the compassionate and loving God. But on the other hand, we have the stubborn and self-absorbed Jonah. Right at the start of the book, we're meant to see these two characters and we're meant to be thinking, which one am I? Which one links in with my identity? Am I more like the compassionate and merciful God? Or am I more like the callous and mean-spirited Jonah? What's my identity? And so Jonah chooses his own mission and there's consequences both consequences for him and consequences for others. We're gonna, we know the story. He gets on a ship and a giant storm comes along to stop him. It shows how powerless Jonah is here. There's nothing he can do against this giant storm. And we know it must have been a giant storm because even the sailors are scared. So these are sailors. These are kind of tough and grizzled guys, muscled. They've got facial hair. They've got tattoos. These are guys who don't get scared at anything. And yet... They're fearful. They think this is it. They think their death has come. And so they're petrified. They're chucking everything overboard, trying to keep the ship afloat. See, Jonah's choice is impacting on the sailors as well. It doesn't just impact on him. There's consequences for everyone. Interestingly, though, did you see what Jonah's response is? Have a look at verses 5 to 6. 
But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. I mean, it's hard to tell why he's gone underneath the deck to sleep. Maybe he's so worn out from uprooting his whole life in an instant and hopping on a boat. Maybe his conscience is constantly kind of gnawing away at him, telling him you're not listening to God. Whatever it is, Jonas goes under the deck and he sleeps and it gives us this kind of glimpse into how selfish he is while everyone else is up on top of the boat trying to do everything they can to save each other, to save the boat. Jonah's underneath sleeping. And so the captain comes to him and is like, understandably, what are you doing? Get up and do something. Call out on your God. Maybe your God will save us. Now, of course, though, we know why Jonah doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to call out to God because he knows that this storm is from God because of him. He knows that the storm is coming because of him. And he's made his decision, he's made his choice, and he's going to stick with it. But the interesting thing here is that we get this pagan Gentile sailor who's more keen on Jonah contacting God, calling out to God, than Jonah himself is. We'd expect that the prophet of God is the one who'd want to call on God, who'd want to talk with God, but he's not. Instead, we get this pagan who's encouraging him to do it. And we see it right throughout Jonah, this contrast of what would expect to happen versus what does happen. And the sailors stick at it. They keep urging Jonah, call out to God. You have to call out to God. This is a life and death situation. And so in the end, they decide to cast lots. So casting lots was basically using stones. I chucked the stones and the way it came up was meant to answer certain questions. And so God uses it here to show them that the storm is here because of Jonah. And so understandably, verse 8, they confront him. They want to know who he is and what he's done. And his answer chills them to the bone. Have a look at verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. When you're sailing on this ship in the middle of the ocean and you're being hit by a giant storm, the last thing you want to hear is that the God sending it is the God of everything. The God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who made the water and the land. See, these guys, these sailors were polytheists, which means they believe in lots of different gods. So they had a God for everything. They had a God for the sun, the moon, the land, the sky, everything. Whatever you could think of, they had a God for it. But some gods were seen as more powerful than other gods. And so for them to hear that Jonah says, this is the God of heaven who made the land and the water, tells them that this is a powerful God. This is not a God you want to be on the bad side of. And so they're fearful. They think this is it. We're dead. But do you see the irony of what's going on here? Because what did Jonah flee from? Well, Jonah fled from having to go and talk about God to Gentiles. That's what he didn't want to do. He didn't want to go to the Gentile Ninevites and tell them about God. Yet what's happening here? He's telling Gentiles about God. He's doing exactly what God wanted him to. You can see God's got a sense of humor and God won't be beaten. God will always achieve his purposes. He wants Jonah to talk to Gentiles about God and so that's what Jonah will do. And so in this conversation, they then kind of ask Jonah, well, what can we do then? What can we do to appease your God? And dejectedly, he says, just chuck me in. Chuck me into the water. But notice his answer. There's no hint of remorse. 
There's no hint of repentance. Jonah doesn't kind of repent and call out to God for mercy. He doesn't confess his sin and acknowledge that he's chosen his own way. He just says, this is happening because of me, so chuck me in. And so we have to wonder, is this Jonah's final choice? Is this Jonah's final choice? He says, I will choose death above doing what God's called me to do. Either way, that's what he suggests. And the sailors know that's instant death. And so they don't want to do it. They try and get closer to land them. They try their hardest to row back in. But the waves pick up. The wind whips quicker. The boat creaks. The storm increases. And so knowing there's nothing else they can do, they realize they have to chuck Jonah in. So that's what they do. Have a look at verses 14 and 15. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. As Jonah hits the water, the waves died down. The wind calms, the clouds clear, and the sun peaks out. It works. This is the consequence of Jonah's choice. This is the consequence. Into the water he goes, and God in his mercy then spares the sailors. And did you notice their response? Have a look at verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They feared God and they offered sacrifices to him. It's this wonderful contrast. Here are these pagan sailors, as tough as they come, as Gentile as they come, and yet they acknowledge God and they offer sacrifices to God. It's the complete opposite. We'd expect the prophet would be the one offering sacrifices or acknowledging God. And yet these pagan sailors do. It's a contrast of what we'd expect. And it's all meant to highlight to us who Jonah is. And it's meant to make us think, am I like Jonah? Is that my identity? And so we're coming to the end of a year now, end of a decade. And so New Year's a great time to pause and to reflect to think about the year gone by and to think about the year ahead. And so it's a great chance for us to reflect then on our identity. We need to consider, am I like God or am I like Jonah? Firstly, are we like Jonah? Are we more interested in self-service than in self-sacrifice? Are we more focused on ourselves than on others? Are we unwilling to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? Is that our identity? Is that who we are? Because that's what Jonah gets us to reflect on. It forces us to look in the mirror of Jonah, to look at the reflection and see who we see looking back. Are we like Jonah, who is so focused on our own hopes and dreams that we ignore God's call? Because just like Jonah, God's called us. We heard the Great Commission read out for us before, Matthew 28, where God calls us to go out into the nations and to tell them about God. Just like Jonah, we've been called to go and tell people. But just uh, the question is, are we like Jonah where we flee from that call? So we need to think, what's our Nineveh? Who's our Nineveh? Who is it that God's calling us to go to that we don't want to? Maybe it's people in our family. It just feels too awkward to talk about God. We've never talked about God before and it would be awkward to start talking about God now. And so even though God's calling us to do it, we just don't. Maybe it's our workmates. We know at work the two things you're not meant to talk about are politics and religion. 
And so uh, we don't want to kind of stir the boat. We don't want to cause tension. We don't want to cause uh, arguments. And so when people ask us about our faith, when people ask us even, what did you do on the weekend? We tell them about Saturday, but we ignore Sunday. We don't even want to bring up the topic of Christianity because we know you're not meant to talk about it. And so even though God's calling us to do it, we just don't. Or maybe it's our friends. We know we should, but we're kind of in this, we've got this relationship where we never talk about anything deep. We only ever talk about light, insubstantial things, and we just feel weird to talk to them about God now. And so even though God's calling us to do it, we just don't. See, with the new year about to start, we have to stop and think. We have to reflect. Am I like Jonah? Am I ignoring God's call? Am I choosing my own way? Is that our identity? Or are we more like God? Are we like the compassionate and gracious God who loves those who are difficult, who chases after those who are fleeing, who has mercy on those who don't deserve it? Are we missional like God, going out into the world to bring people in, willing to give up time and energy and money for the sake of it? Are we focused not on self-preservation but on self-sacrifice? Do we exist not for ourselves but for others? That's what we need to reflect on as we read through Jonah. Are we image bearers of God, of the gracious and compassionate God? Is that our identity? That's tough, isn't it? It's so tough because life is busy, life is hard, and people are disinterested. And so it's just so much easier to coast by, to ignore God's call, and to just live our lives. So what do we do then when we're struggling? What do we do when we know we should be telling people about God we should be listening to God's call but it's just too difficult or we feel unmotivated what do we do well we remember the gospel the fact that in God's eyes we were we're far more wicked than the Ninevites in God's eyes we are wicked evil people and yet still he loves us still he chases after us and still he comes down into the world to save us we remember the gospel that God sacrificed himself on the cross so that we might be saved, so that we might know God. See, that's the wonderful message of the Bible. That's the wonderful message of salvation for us. And that's the wonderful message that should inspire us when we're finding difficult, when we're feeling unmotivated, when we're struggling to change. We remember who God is and what God's done for us. And if we remember that, if we remember how much God's given up for us, then how can we possibly do anything other then want that for others. If we've genuinely understood the gospel, then how could we have want anything other than everyone else to hear that wonderful news and come to know God? In Jonah 1, we see the contrast of two characters. We see Jonah who runs from his enemies, but God who runs to his enemies. We see Jonah who looks inward, but we see God who looks outward. We see Jonah who serves himself, but God who serves the world. The question is, which one are we? Who do we see looking back at us from the reflection of Jonah? I'm going to pray and ask God that we might see a reflection of him looking back. Let's pray.